I take the wayfarers off and hand them to him. Maybe I really did kill a Solly. Though I'm positive that any cab drivers I've killed lately were not American. I probably did. There probably is a wanted poster of me at... Where the taxi, the... The place where all the taxis congregate. What's it called? The driver tries the sunglasses on, looks at himself in the rearview mirror, and then takes them off. He folds the glasses and puts them in his jacket pocket. You're a dead man, I smile grimly at him. And you're a yuppie scumbag, he says. You're a dead man, Abdullah. I repeat, no joke. Count on it. Yeah, and you're a yuppie scumbag, which is worse. He starts the cab up and pulls away from me. While walking back to the highway, I stop, choke back a sob, my throat tightens. I just want to... Facing the skyline through all the baby talk, I murmur, keep the game going. As I stand, frozen in position, an old woman emerges behind a three-penny opera poster at a deserted bus stop, and she's homeless and begging, hobbling over, her face covered with sores that look like bugs, holding out a shaking red hand. Oh, will you please go away, I sigh. She tells me to get a haircut. Oh, hi there. You caught me reading a hateful story. How bigoted of you. Actually, that was a section from American Psycho by Brad Easton Ellis, a book that has been very controversial since before its publication being rejected by publishers all over the world and demonized by many who have never even read it and are therefore unable to see it as the black comedy and poignant satire that it is. Here at Screaming Eye Press, we are committed to freedom of expression in all its forms. This is why we have created Horrible Little Stories. Stories They Don't Want You to Read. A collection of horror and dark fantasy stories by Joe Lansdale, Gary Reiser, Elizabeth Massey, Jack Dan, Richard Christian Matheson, G. Wayne Miller, Ray Garten, A.J. Lance, and more. All proceeds will be donated to the anti-censorship organization, the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression, or The Fire, found at thefire.org. What is freedom of expression? Without the freedom to offend, it ceases to exist. Salman Rushdie. And if we've offended you with this commercial, then just turn it off for fuck's sake. Basket Case by Steve Vernon Read by Wesley Critchfield I will ignore him, this strutting little rooster of a man. I will play Renard to his Chanticleer. I must wait. I sit. I knit. I listen to the clatter of my needles. More bird than man, he flits about my room. Pouncing on all that is shiny and bright. An officer of the law, he says. A gaudy-eyed crow, more likely. More fit to be scratching in burial grounds. Again, 
The picture has passed before my eyes. I must repeat myself, madam. Have you ever seen this man? I shrug. A lace-filtered blaze of sunlight momentarily decapitates the glassy photograph. I blink my eyes. Still, he talks, mercilessly jabbing his finger at me. A dualist flicker of motion. I could bite it off. So close does his finger come to my teeth. Please, madam. This is very important. I attend my knitting. While he chatters, I will clatter. A singing squeak of my rocker serves to drown his speech. From above, his hand descends upon the arm of my rocker. I am shaken, but only by the suddenness of the move. His hand squeezes the wood as if it were flesh. He forces his voice through gritted teeth. Will you listen to me? He says. I gaze at the hand, stare through it, willing it to move. The white around his knuckles fades. My fine, sharp needles clatter. He should listen. He must have heard. His grip is released a little too quickly. He pulls his hand away, hides it in a pocket. His breath hisses from his mouth like a wounded tea kettle. He tries to smile. I'm sorry I've gone too far. But you must understand, our concern is for your safety. My gaze rises. I will not look upon his face, for it is far more comforting to contemplate his neck. Again, I apologize for my loss of temper. He is moving again, circling about my room, snatching up whatever catches his eye. A vase? French? Yes. A family portrait? Yours? No. A basket. Old. Souvenir. This man is believed to be nearby. He's a psychopath. A proven killer who only evaded arrest by minutes. A pattern killer. He chooses his victims carefully. In his last place of residence, we found a scrap of paper bearing this address. I shrug. Clatter, clatter. A slim lead, I know. But we'll take no chances. A policewoman will stay with you for your own protection. I shake my head. No, I say. I don't understand what you could possibly be thinking. You are in danger. We will send someone from the station to... You will send no one, I say. In God's name, why not? This man has a history of violence. I smile. You speak of history, I say. Yet in my time, I have seen more death, more violence, than your entire little police station. You know nothing. I pause. I've gone too far. Besides, the man has not been here. Will never be here. At any time. Again, he rants, flapping his arms as if he would take wing. His attempted flight is interrupted as he brushes a bottle of sherry from its resting place. The bottle lays where it has fallen. Bright red sherry, spilling from its open neck. 
cork rolls about the floor. A man kneels, attempting to right his wrong. He pats at a stain. I say nothing. I stare, fascinated at the way the sunlight slashes across his exposed neck, highlighting the stiff hairs of his nape. The knife crease from a too starchy collar. A quick draw of breath chills my gums. I'm so sorry. Your carpet will be ruined. I'm so... His voice drifts. He rises, holding something he's found. Something small. Something forgotten. How careless of me to miss it. A ring, ma'am. A man's ring. I shrug. He's been here, hasn't he? He asks. These are his initials. For the moment, I will say nothing. I will watch him. Try to catch his eyes. They are intent upon the ring. I must speak. Distract him somehow. Is there a price on this man's head? A private joke. He's wanted by the law. Look, if you're afraid of something happening to you, we can help. Clatter, clatter. It's in the basket. Ah, I have shocked him. He has no answer. What you're looking for, it's in the basket. He takes a slow step forward. Then he looks at me to speak. He looks me right in the eye. I have him. The hook is set. Look in the basket, monsieur. Caught in my spell, he walks slowly, stiffly toward the basket. Closer. Put your head in. Kneeling slowly, almost reverently, he pokes his head into the basket. Again, the back of his neck is bared to me. A final time, my eyes caress his vulnerability. Put it all the way in. Inside the basket, it's like a seashell. He seems to have heard the roar of the ocean. No, not the ocean. It is a human sound. The roar of a thousand, thousand flailing tongues. The roar of a mob. He tries to remove himself. Finds he cannot. He feels the heavy wooden yoke about his neck. Feels the rough hemp chafing his wrists. Like a bird in a snare, he is caught. He raises his head, gazes at the crowd. Dimly, as if through the mist of countless years, he sees them. Hears them chant. Smells them. Stinking peasants. He can see the old lady in front of the mob, rocking on her withered haunches, cackling at him. Clatter, clatter. He knows her now. Suddenly, his dry lips part. He croaks the name. Her name. Madame Lafarge? He raises his eyes further, swiveling his head. Above was the sky, framed by twin pillars of oak. Oak and something shiny. He now knows what happened to the man with the ring and to how many men before. He blinks his eyes, uncertain beneath the 18th century sun. 
He hears the blade fall, sees the basket below, waiting, hungry.